Well, good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hey, my name's TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us this morning as we are in this series called Hustle and Flow. And uh, this series is, is all about the book of James. And if you weren't here last week, I want to encourage you, go back, check out uh, our, our website or check out the, the Coastal app, listen to last week's message. Uh, we decided to do this a little bit differently this summer. A lot of times we, we do these things called series. If you're new to Coastal, we're glad that you're here. We do these things called series, which are basically we just break down the Bible in certain chunks. And a lot of times those are more topical kind of things that we go through. But this summer we decided we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do uh, a, a, a book of the Bible. And so we're going to be studying the book of James this summer. And so if you have a Bible, if you want to open up to James chapter 1, uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your worship guide. You can hang out in there. All, all the scripture, all the notes will be in there. Uh, there's some fill in the blanks. Listen, grab a pen, fill out, follow along, uh, draw, write notes to your neighbor, whatever you want to do. We don't really care. We're just glad that you're here. But we, we, we're studying this book this summer, and I, I, I know that it's going to have a huge huge impact on your life. And this book is all about uh, not only expressive faith, not only just what we say with our mouths, but it's about an active faith. It's not just our words, but it's our actions. Hence the title, Hustle and Flow. It's not just about our flow. It's just not about our talk in life. Uh, it's about our actions. It's uh, the hustle that we have. And I believe that God wants to impact the hustle and the flow of our life. And last week, we dove into the very beginning of James chapter 1, and we looked at the first 12 passages of Scripture. And James chapter 1, the first 12 passages of Scripture are all about this idea that we should find joy in the middle of our trials. And what I know about all of us is that we all face trials in life. When I said, hey, how many of y'all are facing a trial right now? The vast majority of people raised their hand because we all go through trials at different times in our lives. And it's hard for us to find joy when we're going through some difficult times. But James actually kind of explains why we can find joy in the midst of that. Because when we're in the middle of a trial, most of the time, trials are tests from God. And so when we're in the middle of a trial, we have to realize that it's a test of our faith. It's an opportunity for our faith to grow. It's an opportunity for us to rely more on God and receive more from God. And if we'll shift our perspective on that, it will change everything. And, and part of the things about tests is that tests are coming at us all the time. Now, there, there's a statement that I, I've lived by for quite a long time, and it's this. It's, it's, it's a faith that's been tested by fire is a faith that can be trusted. And, and I think that God is constantly testing us through the fire of trials all the time so that he knows that what he can trust us with next. And if we pass this test, then we can move on to the next test. And, and our, we're just walking through a series of tests. And, and I like to speak based on not only my successes in life, but also my failures. And I'll never forget one of the tests that I failed in life uh, was when I was in eighth grade. When I was in eighth grade, my parents had put me into a Christian school. I'd gotten kicked out of public school, and the only school that would take me was a Christian school. So parents just know when you put your kids in Christian school, you think, man, I'm putting them in a great environment. No, no, no. It's just a school full of the kids that got kicked out of public school, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> And so, like, I remember rolling in, and, and I was in this Christian school for a little bit, and I remember my eighth grade year, uh, my favorite, favorite subject was history. Now, 
the thing about school is that every year you have tests and how you do on those tests determine if you move on to the next grade, right? I mean, that's how school works. A lot of you guys that you have students, uh, whether elementary, middle, or high school age, they just went through this and they're hopefully moving on to the next level of their grade. And so my eighth grade year, uh, my favorite subject in life is history. I love reading about history. Well, during the middle of my eighth grade year, I happened to find the answer key to every single test that our school was giving. And, 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 and here's the deal, like tests were given so that it could see how much of the information I had attained and could retain. Well, all of a sudden there is this temptation as an eighth grader, as a 13, 14 year old of what are you gonna do in that moment? And this is an important thing for us to realize that tests are from God, temptation is from the enemy. So all of a sudden there is this temptation. And, and of course, I was like, oh, heck no, I'm gonna take all these tests myself. There's no way I'm gonna cheat. No, I'll grab those answers and I started cheating. I just, listen, confession is good for the soul, bad for the reputation. So I started cheating. Uh, I went all throughout the year and I devised this system on the front of my trapper keeper. They used to have trapper keepers where you could, you guys remember a trapper keeper? You know, you open it up and now I'm getting old, okay? And so on the front, you could slide papers on through the clear side. And so I figured out a system how to put A, B, C, Ds in there for the, you know, the multiple choice answers of, and so that nobody would know what I'm doing. Well, I'm getting ready for the final exam of my eighth grade year. It's the year that I get to move from middle school to high school or junior high to high school. And during my final exam, I get caught. Because here's the deal. Temptation always overpromises and underdelivers. It always says, man, you require something on the easy or on the down low. You can skip some steps in the process. And so therefore, you just need to give in to temptation. And the amazing thing is, is that's exactly what James starts talking about. He starts talking about the fact that we can count it all joy that we're gonna face trials. And when we pass the, the test of a trial, man, there's a blessing that comes with it. That's what it says in James chapter 12. But then in verse 13, this is what it says. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So James, James goes, man, listen, there's gonna be trials that are really tests, and if we'll pass the test, there is a blessing. But listen, temptation is gonna come your way. And James, within this context of scripture, he kind of breaks it down into three things that you and I, we need to know about temptation, that some things that we need to, to, to realize in, a, in that. And if you're taking notes today, the first thing is this, we need to recognize the source of our temptation. We have got to recognize the source of, the, uh, of what's going on because there is a source to every problem we face, to every test we take, to every temptation that comes before us. 
And so we need to recognize that when a test comes, a test is from God. When a temptation comes, it's from something else. And so right here, James starts defining what that is. And he says, like, listen, when the temptation comes, it comes from your own evil desires. In other words, he says there is an evil within each and every one of us that was brought on from Genesis chapter 3 when we had the first sin. There is an evil that the enemy is constantly using and manipulating, and there is an enemy that is out there. I know a lot of people are like, well, I'm just, just my own desires. No, 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 there is an enemy that is out there that is tempting you. You need to realize that there is a real enemy, and he's called the devil. And he's real, and he's true, and, and, and he's out there, and he's a liar, and he's a deceiver, and he's uh, uh, just trying to tempt you all the time. And he uses the same mojo continuously. He uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's his MO. Like, he's not super clever in the grand scheme of things. Now, when he gets to the nitty-gritty, it gets a little bit more clever. But this is what he says uh, in that. And just before I dive into that, have you ever noticed that when you lust for things of your eyes, of your flesh, or for the pride of life, no matter how much you get, it always leaves you wanting more? No matter how much you acquire, it's like it leaves you wanting and desiring a little bit more. James 1.13, he says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now, why does it say God doesn't tempt us? Because a lot of times when we get tempted, we want to place the blame on somebody. And, or we, we want to, there's, there's got to be a reason this is happening, and therefore it's God's fault. We are always lifting the shift, the consequences of what's happening. And so what we do for a lot of us is we end up playing the blame game. And it's this person's fault or it's that person's fault. It's your fault. It's, it's everybody else's fault but my fault. Or if we don't play the blame game, a lot of times what we do is, is we become the islander where we, where we start to go, well, nobody really understands how hard it is for me. Nobody understands what I am going through. You don't understand. My situation is different. If, you, if I had a dollar for every single time somebody told me that, as a pastor, I would be a millionaire. Because your situation is not any different. Because he uses the same things over and over again. You're going to give in to the lust of the flesh, the, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. That's your situation. And so we like to think that it's all that, or, or we take the mentality that, that it's, it's, it's just pulling. I couldn't, I couldn't not give in to that thing. Or we just play the deer in the headlights card where we're like, man, I, just, I didn't even see that thing coming. I just got stuck. In fact, Paul talks about this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. He talks about the fact that there is temptation out there, and this is what he says. He says, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. He says, basically, everything that you're facing, everything that I'm facing, everything that you're going through, everything that I'm going through, somebody else has already gone through that. There's nothing new underneath the sun. We're going through the same things that, that people have been dealing with for hundreds and thousands of years. And so we need to recognize that temptation is real, and temptation has been around for a long time. And, but then he says, and God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up underneath of it. And thank goodness we have a God that is faithful, that he isn't the author of temptation, 
but he is faithful that when we are tempted, he'll give us a way out of that temptation. Now, now what's interesting is it says that there's no temptation that will be on what we can bear. Now, Recently, I, I, I got a truck, and I'm a truck driver now. Uh, where are all my truck drivers at? Truck, truck people, raise your hands. Truck people, raise them up high. Come on, come on. We're, we got to stick together. I love my truck. I'm so thankful I had a truck this week. Uh, anybody else a truck this week when people are going down the road, and it was all that water on like Tuesday and Wednesday, and they're getting stuck? You just flew by them at like 40 miles an hour and just covered them in water. Anybody else do that? Just me? Okay, I'm the only sinner here. Okay, fine. I got it. it. It was a temptation. I gave into it, okay? I'm just going to let, I'm confession. Um, but I, I love my truck. Now, I, I drive a Toyota Tundra. Now, the interesting thing about a Toyota Tundra is that a Toyota Tundra is a half-ton truck. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but every truck has a frame, and the frame of that truck determines the load that it can carry. And so my truck is a half-ton. It can carry half of a ton. Uh, and other trucks are three-quarter tons, like an F-250. Other trucks are like F-350. Some of them are bigger. And every single time, it goes from a, a, a half-ton to a three-quarter ton to a one-ton and, and beyond that. But the frame of that truck determines the load that it can carry. Listen, God has fearfully and wonderfully created you. He understands the frame that he made you with and he understands the load that you can bear and he will never set you up with a load that is heavier than what your frame can handle. That is the good news of what God does for us. And he says, listen, when it starts getting heavy on you and maybe it's not even beyond what you can bear, I'm gonna give you an exit strategy. So you don't have to give in to that temptation, but you can continue on to pass the test. And so we, as Christ followers, we have got to recognize what the source of the temptation is. Then number two, we gotta understand the process of temptation. Because if we can start to understand that there is a source, but with the source, there is a process that that source uses over and over and over again to tempt us, I believe that it will allow us to move forward in that. And James kind of gives us the framework of that in James, in James 1, 14, 15. He says, but each one, is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And so he gives us the framework right here, and, and I love how he lays this out because it reminded me a lot of fishing. Any, any fishermen here? I know we're, we're in Pompano. Man, a lot of, okay, one woman on the front row. Awesome. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not really a fisherman either. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but a couple of weeks ago, I went deep sea fishing for like one of the, the, like the second or third time of my life. And it was awesome because you do nothing. They like cast the lines out. You sit there, you drink drinks. And then when they get a fish on there, they hand you the pole and you just reel it in. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then when it gets to the boat, they, they do the rest of the work. They take it off, they cut it. I was like, this is all, I can fish like this. It's my kind of fishing. Like, I don't really get dirty or nasty or whatever, and, it's, and I can go sit in the air-conditioned cabin when we're not catching anything. That's, that's what I'm talking about. But he says that there is a process to our temptation. And, and one thing that I realized is that in fishing, the most important thing is the bait. When you're going to go fishing, 
you got to get the correct bait. And so when I was out there with these fishermen, I was asking like, hey, what are we fishing for? And so I'd be like, why are we putting squid on there? He'd be like, because we're trying to catch this kind of fish. And I'd go, well, why are you putting this, this, this jack on there? And he goes, well, because we're trying to catch this kind of fish. And so on different lines, he was using a different bait. He was using a different, what we would call a lure, to lure that fish in to biting that bait. Well, the same thing is true with the enemy. What he does is he realizes in his process that there has to be some sort of bait. There's got to be some sort of temptation that he puts out there. And the enemy is pretty smart. He goes out there and he puts bait that is attractive to each individual person. This is what he says. He says each one is tempted by his own evil desires. What that means is that Satan, the enemy, is customizing temptation based on who you are. So he knows that for a guy, a typical guy gives in to one of three things, uh, girls, glory, or gold. Most guys will stumble from one of those areas. And so what he does is he realizes that, man, guys stumble over girls. And so I learned this about fishing. See all these little things right here? This is called a skirt. See, the bait is underneath, but what the bait is wearing is it's wearing a skirt. And so what Satan does is he sees the guy over there and he's like, hey, check out that skirt. Look at that thing. Look at it move. Look at that tail under that skirt. Woo! Man. He throws some temptation out there. That's what he does. It's true, isn't it? And so he's customizing temptation for the person. He goes, you're in the middle of the test. Well, I'm gonna tempt you to sidetrack that test. And so he goes and he throws a lure out and there's temptation that's out there. And when that temptation comes, this is what we need to realize. Temptation is not a sin. Hey, there's an alarm going off. We're gonna stop that right there. I don't know whose phone that is, but your alarm, man, you're waking up at 1040. That is sad. <laughs> Worship team, some of y'all need to get up a little bit earlier and get in the word of God get saved in here or something. Anyways, <laughs> temptation in and of itself, like there is nothing wrong with, in this case, a girl wearing a skirt. There's no sin in that. See, what happens though is the enemy knows that if he entices you long enough with the temptation, what typically will start happening is you'll start fantasizing about it. He says, but each one is enticed and what happens is there is an enticement with this desire. And all of a sudden you start looking at that and you go, man, I, I, I wonder what that would be like. I wonder, oh, I wonder what a date with her would look like. Or I wonder what it would be like if, if I, I got that, that job through some kind of shady connections. Or I wonder, I wonder if I just... If I had that outfit that I can't afford right now, like what would that do for my life? And he starts tempting us with those things and he gets us to start fantasizing about the possibility of that. That is his goal. His goal is to get your focus off of passing the test and onto the temptation that always promises gain faster, quicker, smarter, easier than what it is. In fact, in fishing, I, I read this this week, the goal of fishing, uh, the reason why a fish will go after this is because they're, they're about maximum gratification with the least amount of energy expedited. Doesn't that sound just like us? And so what happens, we start thinking about this and we, we start fantasizing about it in our minds. And before long, because of fantasy, we go, well, I'm gonna check that out. And so we start to move towards that sin. 
We got I want to get a little bit closer. I want to I want to kind of see. I want to see if I can maybe get a smell. I want to see like if like as I get closer does it look as good still? And 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 he keeps enticing. And finally as you get closer and closer, eventually I don't know if you've noticed this, but you don't have to get into the fire to get burnt. And as you get closer and closer, and you start to see that how easy it could be, and all of a sudden you move towards sin, and all of a sudden you move to the act of sin, where you grab hold of it. And let me tell you something. I'm going to be honest as your pastor, uh, because a lot of pastors will tell you sin isn't fun, it is dangerous, and it's, uh, it is dangerous. But they'll say like all this stuff, like sin is, is terrible, it's not fun. Like, I, let's be honest, sin is fun. When you, if you're not having fun when you're sinning, you're doing it wrong, okay? I'm just gonna tell you that right now. Every time that I've sinned in that moment is fun. The consequences of that sin are not fun. Like, because when that fish bites onto this, man, that fish that it's eating tastes good. The problem is, is it doesn't realize there's a hook. Because underneath that skirt, is some consequences. And what Satan does is, just like a good fisherman, when, when that fish bites on, he lets it run off for a little bit. What he's doing is he's allowing that hook to get set without that fish knowing it so that when he starts to reel that joker in, when he starts to reel you in, when he starts to reel me in, all of a sudden he's got us and he's leading us to death. He's leading us to that place where there is no more opportunity. All of a sudden, the consequences of death are shame. The consequences of death are the loss of respect. The consequences of death are broken relationships. The consequences of death is unforgiveness in your heart and in your life. But if you and I, if we can understand the methodology that the enemy uses, then all of a sudden we can start to realize where we are in the process, which will allow us to, number three, learn how to overcome the temptation that's before us. And I love the fact that James doesn't just leave us there and go, hey, listen, there's going to be temptation. See ya. He goes, listen, there is a way for you to overcome it. Because the enemy, listen, he's a master angler. He, over the years, he's gotten really good at throwing this out and just reeling it along, enticing us individually and personally, saying, man, if, if you'll take this, this is the easy road. This is the easy way. This is the way to bypass all, bypass all that pain and, and all of those things. And it's so enticing to just go after that. But the reality of sin is that while it's fun for the moment, it's miserable for the lifetime. And as you get into it, it always leads to a greater level of disappointment than we thought it would. Isn't it amazing how quickly our eyes despise what we attain through the lust of it? As soon as we grab hold of that and we realize what we've done, we, we hate that decision. The reality is, is what we need to do in that moment, as, 
temptation is coming our way is we need to ask God. We need to go, God, help show me the reality of how disappointing this sin will be in my life. If I were to look past the fantasy of this moment, what will the long-term repercussions of allowing fantasy to give full growth to sin look like? Because what I found is as I move towards sin, it always leads me to more and more sin. We've got to break through this fantasy world of our minds. And our minds, so many people are like, oh, follow your heart, follow your mind, don't do that. It's the worst advice ever. Proverbs 14, 12, it's not in your notes, but it says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Don't go based on what seems right for you. Don't fall for Satan's bait in your life. James says this in verse 16. He says, don't be deceived. He says, don't be deceived, people. My dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Because here's, here's Satan's MO, it's bait and switch. It's like, hey, this is gonna be the quick fix. And all of a sudden you're hooked and you're jacked up and you're messed up and, and he takes you on this rod that you never signed up for. He says, but God is never changing. So don't be deceived by thinking you're gonna take the, the quick and easy road and get to the result that God has for you. In fact, I, I, I read this this morning. Uh, God doesn't promise to guard us from temptation, but to guide us through it. See, listen, God's promise is not that you're not gonna face temptation in life. The God's promise is that he's gonna guide you through it and he doesn't change, he doesn't shift, he doesn't do any of those things. He stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how do you and I not be deceived? That's the question we have to answer. Like, how do we not fall into the temptation that's out there? And I think it's, it's really simple. Partly is we gotta play some defense in our life. And the way we play defense is we gotta avoid some harmful influences. We gotta get away from some things that, that are leading us closer and closer to the temptation. So if you have a problem with food, don't go hang out at Krispy Kreme. If you have a problem with, with uh, uh, pride in life, get off social media. If you have an issue with pornography, stop surfing the internet late at night. If you have a money problem, cut up your credit cards. We gotta start to play some defense and we gotta put some boundaries up in our lives. There's a reason there's boundaries on a road system. When you're on the interstate, they put up some barricades on each side. Why? Because if you get outside of those, it could hurt you. In our own lives, we need to put up some boundaries so that we don't give it a temptation because when we do, this hook hurts. It's big, check that joker out. That's painful. And so we gotta play some defense, but sometimes the best defense is a great offense. And so sometimes we can't just be defensive in a relationship with God. Instead, we gotta, we gotta go on the offensive. And I think one of the greatest ways we can do that is we can counter temptation with God's word. 
Jesus, every single time that he was tempted in Luke chapter four, uh, when the enemy came and tempted him, when he was hungry, when he tempted him with power and, and all of these things, what did Je the way that Jesus responded to temptation was with God's word. Satan says, man, turn these rocks into bread. And Jesus goes, man, man will not live on bread alone, but by every word of God. And the greatest thing that we can do is we can get the truth of God's word so we're not deceived by the lies of the enemy. Because if we don't know truth, then it's easy to be deceived. But the more truth we put into our lives, the greater opportunity for success we're gonna have. That's why we encourage you to get those daily devotionals and study them every day. Read God's word, memorize scripture, get involved in those types of things because it will help lead you to the truth rather than the deception. That's why he says, don't be deceived. The only way you're not gonna be deceived is if you have truth. And with that, I think a great thing that we can do is we can develop healthy relationships. I know that I am the man that I am today, not because of a church service or a, 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 a CD that I listen to, but it's because of the relationships that I've had in my life. It's one of the reasons why we push connect groups so hard and say, get involved in a connect group, get involved in relationship. We, one of the values we have here as a church, we don't do life alone. The reason why we say that is because, man, if you have healthy relationships with people that are pursuing Jesus, you know what's gonna happen in your life? You're gonna, have, you're gonna be pursuing Jesus as well. Who you surround yourself with is who you're gonna be like. And the healthier the relationships you have, the healthier your life is going to be. And they're gonna help lead you and guide you and direct you and encourage you and, and, and spank you every once in a while. I mean, it's gonna have all the entire spectrum that happens in a relationship. But most importantly, the thing that we gotta do if we wanna not be deceived is we just gotta fall in love with Jesus. It's so easy for us to get all of these habits. Oh, I go to church. I read my Bible. But God is not a habit. God is after a relationship. He wants to know you. He wants to know you personally. He wants to hear about your hopes and your dreams and your fears. And here's the thing that I've discovered about a relationship is I've been married to my wife, Shayla, for 17 years. She's my best friend. She is my confidant. She's the greatest source of encouragement. She's also the greatest source of pain in my life. I mean, it's just, I'm just being honest. She's right there. So this isn't Vegas. You can tell her afterwards I said that. It's okay. But because I love Shayla so much, because I'm so madly in love with her, Temptation will come. Some girl will come and start flirting with me and I don't even recognize it. Like Shayla will have to go like, you need to watch out for that person. I'll be like, why? What are they doing? And she'll be like, didn't you just see that? No. Because it doesn't even register because I'm so infatuated and in love with her that that skirt isn't even appealing. Because the one thing, because I love her so much, I would want to do nothing to hurt that love. And if we'll fall so in love with Jesus, we'll be so infatuated with him, those temptations, when they come our way, they won't draw our, our eyes away. They won't draw us into fantasy land because we're so infatuated with him that it's not even a 
temptation to us anymore in life. But here's what I know, and that's, that's great theory, but some of us have fallen into some, some temptations. Some of us have been hooked by sin in our life. And it feels like it's leading us towards death. And the goal of any great fisherman, any sport fisherman, is when they get a big catch, they mount that fish up on their wall as a trophy. Say, look at what I've accomplished. And that's exactly what the enemy wants to do with your life and your purpose and your destiny and your marriage and your kids. He wants to hook them, pull them out, and mount them on his wall as a trophy. But here's the good news. Because of Jesus Christ and the cross, Satan can't take you as a trophy. He has to play catch and release. So everyone that he reels in, because of the cross of Jesus Christ, he has to throw back out. See, in verse seven or in verse 18, he says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. In other words, there was this, there was this birth that happened because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. See, see, there is a trophy that went on a piece of wood. It was called Jesus on the cross. And then he went down into the enemy's area and he kicked his butt and he came back up and he says, listen, not only are you gonna have one chance, but you're gonna have two chances, three chances, 300 chances, 10,000 chances. And it doesn't matter what's happened to you or how many times you've fallen. The book of Proverbs says, though a man falls seven times, he gets back up. Maybe you've fallen today and maybe it's time for you to get back up. Maybe it's time for you to get back in the game and realize that there is a test that still needs to be passed, that there is a destiny that still needs to be lived out. And it starts by you doing this. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if, if we confess our sins, that's how we get back in the game. That's how we get released again from the hook of the enemy. It's how we get released again from the guilt of shame. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And maybe you're out there today and you've been walking around with all this guilt and all this shame and, and you've been given into temptation and God today wants to set you free. He wants to say, who the Son sets free is free indeed.